Stop it! Don't open that door! Welcome to episode 22. For those of you who are frequent listeners, you might know that I usually start off by some rambling, incoherent, extemporaneous intro. But today, I'll have you know, I'm doing the exact same. That's really what this is. I was going to try to justify it and say that I'm not doing that, but I'd be lying. But I can make it shorter, and that I will do. I'm going to jump right into the intro because we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, So, what are we for those first-time listeners who may be came by this podcast thinking that, hey, that's the show that does the stupid intros. I'm sorry to disappoint if you came here for that, although I like your style. Uh, We are a different kind of podcast here at Masters of Unlocking. One of us is an author and a game lover. The other of us is a collector and recovering game store owner. I, Caleb J. Ross, at Caleb J. Ross on Twitter and everywhere else, am the said author and video game lover, and with me is VG Collectaholic at VG Collectaholic on Twitter and everywhere else. And he is the recovering game store owner and collector. Uh, together, we delve into the business, economics, and psychology of video games. And it's that last part, that last serial comma, uh, which I'm just realizing has an Oxford comma in the series that I'm reading from. So I, pre- I approve of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I am a firm advocate of the Oxford comma. If we get rid of the Oxford comma, we quickly descend into anarchy. We cannot have that. We can't. <laughs> um, so, well, although I kind of want to, ex- if that's the reason we descend into anarchy, I kind of want to, I kind of want to see why I want I want all of the people who are passionate about the Oxford comma, like I am to come out of the woodwork and be armed to the teeth, ready to defend its right. You know, I think that they should scrap fallout 76 because it's going to be <laughs> multiplayer bs anyway and they should replace it with fallout return of the oxford comma <laughs> oh i might have to abandon my traditional game gamer name uh and change my name to oxford comma in every single one of my <laughs> my games i play i usually go with scrote johnson it's my favorite it's fun to say but oxford comma might have to take over for that i don't know we'll see i never play online games so it generally doesn't matter Um, But yeah, that last portion of the phrase, the fact that we dive into the business, economics, and psychology of video games is, I think, what makes us a little bit different. We do talk a little bit about the news, which I'll go into right now, but we also like to get a little bit deeper and uh, just kind of have fun with things that only nerds like me, VG Collectaholic, and hopefully you listeners enjoy. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Best Buy and its canceling of its Gamers Club Unlocked program. A new study that suggests we may all be esports fans someday. Yes, even you, the person listening right now who says no way. Yeah, studies are studies. You can't argue with science. We're also going to talk about um, Overwatch League expanding, which folds into the new study uh, that we'll all be esports fans eventually. We're also going to talk about not just Fallout 76 when we get to our E3 segment, but also the gigantic Fallout New Vegas mod called Fallout New California, which is launching in October. And I'm going to ask Scott, because he's a lawyer, how the hell that is. Uh, why, why isn't Bethesda doing something about this. And for our main event, we're going to talk about E3. This is kind of our E3 pre-show. We're going to talk about what, uh, you know, what we anticipate with E3. Uh, We're going to do all of the wish listing that people of the video game ilk like to do. And we're also going to tell you where you can watch coverage of E3 um, by Cartridge Club members. Uh, So definitely stay tuned for that and look forward to hearing a bunch of video game nerds talk nerdily about nerdy video games. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Uh, So 
Let's first talk about uh, what, we're, what we've been playing, uh, because that helps you, listener, get uh, acquainted with us and helps you know kind of where our minds are at. So I'll toss it over to you, Scott, first, uh, because you don't have anything written in the document, and I want to put you on the spot. What have you been playing? Well, I've wrote everything that I played <laughs> since our last record in the document, and uh, as you astutely discovered, it's blank. <laughs> Last episode, I mentioned that I started playing the new God of War, and uh, the last couple of weeks have been filled with family visits and and some other things. So it's been a pretty uh, desolate wasteland of game playing lately, but <laughs> hopefully that turns around here and, and I can dive back into to gaming yeah kind of yeah it's funny because this uh the our notes which obviously the listener can't see this particular section where we talk about our playlists and our pickups is a perfect exemplification of the difference between scott and i as i mentioned in the intro i i tend to play games more than i collect them scott tends to collect them and play them but i would say collect them probably more often and uh, we have two sections here we have a playlist and a pickups Playlist for Scott is empty. Mine has a couple entries. Pickups for Scott is really full. Mine is completely empty. <laughs> uh, so I've been playing. Um, so I don't know if you remember, Scott, uh, eons ago, it seems, uh, one of our earliest episodes, we both decided that a 2018 goal of ours was going to be to play the Bioshock collection. And I think on the last episode, I actually got caught up on your progress on this. It, your progress wasn't wasn't really uh, progressing, um, and I decided that I'm going to be the better of the two deal makers and go ahead and get started on Bioshock, the first game. Uh, I did uh, restart uh, the game, um, although I'm also playing on easy mode, and I gotta say, easy mode in Bioshock is a lot of fun. It is just about impossible to die, uh, and you can just kind of go nuts and explore the world, listen to all the tapes. Um, as much as I love narrative and games, uh, I tend to quickly scan through any sort of audio log type thing even fallout fallout's one of my favorite series of all time i don't read all of the terminals um i don't get all of the lore and i really i kind of want the narrative to be told less overtly and that's the kind of narrative i like uh but with bioshock it being on easy mode i don't have to worry about being gunned down by something as i'm trying to listen to andrew ryan talk about um and ryan philosophies for for a while so uh so it's a fun game by the way you should play it at some point Maybe this year. <laughs> I'm also playing Axiom Verge, uh, which is the Cartridge Club Prime game, the Cartridge Club game of the month. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Cartridge Club at all, that was essentially its start. It started off as what's what uh, P2 would so eloquently say, well, try to say during each one of the weekly episodes of, of weeks past, uh, that uh, it's the book club for games. Um, and while Cartridge Club, does now officially have a book club for games, literally a book club where you read books about video games. Uh, the actual concept of all of a bunch of players playing a video game collectively, the same video game and discussing that video game each month, that was sort of the the, the nomenclature, the, the book club for games, that's where it came from. And this month is actually the first time I've ever participated in a Cartridge Club Prime game. I believe this is the 58th week they've done it, 57th or 58th week they've done it, uh, or month, I'm sorry, that they've done it. Um, and, or 58th time, I guess I should say, I don't know if it's, if it's been every single month, but I believe this is number 58 or nine. Anyway, Axiom Verge, I'm playing it, loving it a lot. Uh, I've heard it's difficult, uh, as we just discussed, I don't like difficult games, so I'm focusing on being as overpowered as possible. I am hunting out every single power-up I can possibly find. It's a Metroidvania game, more Metroid than Vania. In fact, almost in at times feels like a direct ripoff of Metroid, but in sort of an 
paying homage to kind of way. Uh, so I'm really liking it. I like the Metroid series, so of course I'm going to like this. But again, I have heard it gets difficult later on. Hopefully I can circumvent that by becoming OP'd because that's what I do. That's what I do. Yes. What have you picked up? So you mentioned that you are progressing towards your 2018 gaming goal of completing the Bioshock trilogy. Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. on the pickup side of the world, I am going toward my 2018 goals of completing a couple of sets. I mentioned in a couple of past episodes that I made progress on the Intellivision and the Vectrix and the Odyssey 2. Uh, well, now I've also gone and made a little bit more progress on another set that I've really hit hard this year, and that's the original Xbox. Last episode, I mentioned how I had bought a massive lot of Xbox games that put me well on my way toward completing the set. Well, since then, I picked up a 10 more games that were primarily shovelware, but uh, nice to get knocked out as well. And that brings me down to just 42 games left for the set. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, my God. And are any of those like... Are they rare ones that are left over or? Not particularly. It's nice because most of the 42 are just shovelware, $5, $10 maximum type games. Um, And there aren't a lot of real rare expensive games in the Xbox collection. The Xbox collection is about 900 games all in. And I'd say out of that, there's only probably five of them that go for over 100 bucks on on the regular. Um, And there's, I would say, maybe under a dozen that fall in kind of that 25 to $70 range. And of the 42 that I have left, there's really only one game left that is in the you know north of $20 range. And even that's only in the typically goes in the 30, 35, $40 range. But I've just been um, choosy and wanting to, to get a good <laughs> deal on it. It's not particularly hard to find. Uh, but it's nice that one of the game stores in my area that I frequent pretty pretty regularly, it, they have a deal where you can buy, if you buy two games from the PS1 through PS3 era uh, or Xbox at 360 era, uh, then buy two, you get one free. So it's a nice way to just go in and fill up on some shovelware stuff and some some of the filler titles without having to worry about paying shipping and things like that. And it's nice to support the the local mom and pop shops as well yeah so does that because they're kind of shovelware though does that kind of bring you back to the uh the the on the hunt kind of collector mentality because you don't have to you you have you stand a chance of finding those things that you want out in the wild yeah it really does it really does and and it's really gotten me back into trying to hit goodwill and stuff more on on my trips home i'd kind of given up going thrifting recently um, but a lot of the Goodwills around here, pretty much all they have is Xbox games. And a lot of them are those, you never find anything good. It's always sports titles or racing titles or, you know, more of that shovelware type stuff. So it has given me more, um, reason to go stop by those and just check. And it's, uh, it's become a lot of fun when you're down to just needing a few titles left to, to complete a set. And it's not, um, you know, you're not buying every single Xbox game that come across. It's <laughs> it's it's been a good time. Nice, nice. Yeah, and you had been poking me a little bit because of the fact that uh, <laughs> my collection is a little odd. As I mentioned, I've been going for Intellivision and Odyssey Two and Vectrix and all these kind of crazy things, but I don't have a complete Nintendo NES set. 
I know that a couple of the guys in the cartridge club have, have mentioned that about my collection as well, that it's not, uh, it, it's not a lot of the things that the typical collections focus in on. And so I had given up collecting Nintendo games for the most part, probably in 2010, 2012. It was sometime there when I was in grad school and the prices started to climb up. And I kept thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pick these up later when they're more affordable. That never happened, so I never went back to it. But one of the things that being at Midwest Gaming Classic, which was my first gaming convention, really rekindled the the interest in the Nintendo. And it really uh, kind of lit that fire for me again. So I've been going back through, and when I, when I stopped collecting, I had just north of, I think, 300 uh, complete Nintendo NES games, somewhere in that range. In the last week or two weeks, I guess, since our last recording, I went through and completed, pieced together some of the games that I had as stragglers that um, were above and beyond that. There were about 50 NES games that I completed. Some were, I had the box and manual and I just needed a cart. Some were, I had a cart and I needed a box and manual or just needed a manual or just needed a poster, things like that. So I knocked about 50 of them out. Uh, some some of the relative heavy hitters like Bonk, DuckTales 2, Dragon Warriors 4, Wampum, uh, some some classics like Mega Man 1 through 4, Castlevania 1 through 3, things like that. So it's been fun to kind of get back into the the Nintendo scene a little bit more because it really was my the second video game system that I spent a lot of time with after the my first system, which was the Texas Instruments TI-99. Do you still have the feeling of uh, the thing that drove you away from collecting the NES? Is that still there, though? Is there still sort of that disinterest to some degree or are you really into it all over again i am really into it all over again and i would say that it's less about the the prices of the nes games being you know any more reasonable than they were because they're certainly even more unreasonable than they were you know in 2012 but i think where it's less of a oh i'm not paying that for it is because everything else is starting to catch up you know, there, mm. there's really nothing. And now that I've knocked out a lot of these oddities that people just hadn't been paying attention to, there's not a lot left that's uh, it can be picked up on the right, uh, you know, on the on the cheap. So I guess it's kind of uh, well, now I guess there, I might as well get into this because <laughs> I've, I've kind of knocked out all of the, the cheap, the cheap stuff that nobody wants. Is it also because now you're just way richer? Yeah, I wish <laughs> I wish. Man, spending three hundred bucks on a game? No, that's cool. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's old man money. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, I think uh, perhaps now would be a time to transition into current events. This is the part of the of the podcast where, if we were more creative, we would have a cool sound effect or some sort of better transition than the horrible segue I'm going to try to make. But <clears throat> here we go. Speaking of being richer, uh, it looks like some of us might not have to spend money on a Best Buy Gamers Club Unlocked Pass anymore mm. uh, because the Best Buy it has <laughs> because the Best Buy has ended its Gamers Club Unlocked program. 
uh, and that was uh, shut down, or at least the notice of that was shut down pretty pretty relatively recently. And I'll, I'll pass this along to you, Scott, to kind of talk through since you have most of the information here and are probably, well, not probably, definitely more familiar with this con- with this uh, program than I am. I've, I've had it for less than a year and I've only used it on one game. So I'm the rare person that uh, Best Buy made their money on. Yeah, yeah, you are definitely in the minority. And I think it, that speaks to the manner in which this was shut down. So for those who who may not be familiar with it, Best Buy started a program for uh, called Gamers Club Unlocked. They started this way back. It's been around a long time. They actually launched it in September of 2011. Um, the biggest thing to happen in September 2011, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think so. I think so. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, when it first came out, it was nine, it was a hundred bucks for two years of the program, and then they reduced it down to thirty bucks per year in March of two thousand fifteen. And I've been signed up since uh, I didn't sign up right away. I signed up in July of two thousand twelve. So I've been a Gamers Club Unlocked member for quite a while. But what it did is it, or what it does, I should say, is it's not completely. It's not dead yet. <laughs> Uh, it gives you 20% off all new game purchases, so that doesn't have to be a pre-order, it doesn't have to be a regular price game, it's 20% off anything that is a new game, uh, excluding Black Friday deals, which they actually just started excluding within the last couple of years, before it used to stack with all their Black Friday prices as well, which was phenomenal. Um, and then you get 10% off any of their used games, and you get an additional 10% trade-in value on any trade games you're trading in and then another benefit was that i think it gave you double reward zone points on any game purchases uh which then which gave you then additional money based on you know speeding up your collection of of my best buy certificates so i'm i honestly i'm kind of surprised that it lasted you know this long i mean it's lasted over eight years at this point, or it will have lasted over eight years by the time it's completely shut down. Um, and they didn't, they didn't completely kill it off. What they did is they sort of ninjaly said, okay, <laughs> now effective immediately, nobody can sign up. Nobody can renew their gamers club subscription. We're removing all signage. We're removing everything from the website. And it's for all intents and purposes, unless you've got remaining time on your gamers club unlocked account, you it, it's over, it's done and never to be, never to be mentioned again. I have to think that this was a a big time money loser for Best Buy. You know, you mentioned that you've been a, a member for a year, so you mm-hmm. you spent the thirty bucks to get signed up, and you bought one game. So you've basically, assuming that game was a new retail game at sixty dollars, you saved twelve bucks. So you're <laughs> you're eighteen dollars in the hole, right? Even even worse, I think it was a it was a Shadow of the Colossus, which I believe was like forty dollars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well done. So you're so you're twenty two dollars in the hole then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Now you still you still have some time. I mean, you're if you signed up this year, you've still got time left before expiration, so you can get in uh, get in some pre orders, get in some you know some purchases here until you expire. So you may claw your money back, but. While you may make your money back, Best Buy likely never broke even on this because 
the way the way retail pricing on video games work, and we've touched on this in previous episodes, so I'm not going to beat the dead horse here to zombie status, <laughs> but the margins on new video game software for retailers is very, very thin. Now, when when I owned the game store, we looked into purchasing new games and stocking new games, and it just it didn't make sense at all, so we never did it because... The prices that we would have had to pay in order to get the games in stock, there was only anywhere between 10 to 15% discount to MSRP. So if a game was $60, we would basically be paying anywhere from $50 to $55 for that game. So there's a very limited window for a retailer to make any kind of money on on a new game before they they plummet in price. When you take and give a 20% discount on top of that, the 20% discount is likely putting you in the red on that game. So what this program really was is it was a it, it was effectively a way for them to try to get you in the door. It was it was a marketing program to try and drive traffic to the stores or the site, basically a loss leader type program. Now, the problem with that is most gamers who are you know, deal hunting and things like that are not going to then be buying that other thing that is going to actually have some profit margin to it. Most of the things that have high profit margin at Best Buy are things like AV equipment, cables of any kind, like your USB cables, your HDMI cables, things like that. A lot of those things, which most most game collectors, most most deal hunters are going to be buying on Amazon. They're going to be buying on AliExpress. They're not going to go and spend the $30 for an HDMI cable at Best Buy. So I think I think the premise was probably wishful thinking from the get-go, and especially having it available to be used both in-store and online mm-hmm. and on pre-orders, right? If you if you're doing a pre-order by the very na- by it's very nature you're not you're probably not buying other things along with it you're just putting down your pre-order and you're calling it a day especially if you're doing it online yeah and they don't even have you walk to the back of the store to pick up your pre-order like the grocery store logic where they put all of the essentials in the back so that you have to walk by all the non-essentials and possibly do some impulse buying and best buy it was literally every best buy i've ever been to it's the counter right next to the front door so you might pick up some uh, expensive movie theater sized boxes of like uh, sugar daddies or whatever. I'm old again. We've established that. Um, <laughs> like you may be that, but that's really kind of it. Yes. And, and besides, it's even more of a hassle to buy something else because then you're having to make two different purchases. You're going to have to pick up one and then do shopping. And so they actually, it's almost like they consciously made it more difficult uh, when they introduced the idea of being able to allow pre-orders. That's even if you did a an in-store pickup. You know, I, I don't, I think very, very infrequently did I ever do an in-store pickup on a pre-order because I don't care if I get it day one. So that wasn't all that important for me. And if you're worried about condition, usually on the in-store pickups, they, they put those giant like stickers with your order number and your name Mm -hmm. and all of that right on the product. So it wasn't even like a thing where, Oh, I know I'm going to get it in good condition because they're not mailing it to me. So I just think it was a, a, doomed program from the beginning uh i that said i'm i'm really bummed to see it go because not so much just in the loss of gamers club unlocked but 
In order to compete with Gamers Club Unlocked, Amazon and GameStop both launched their own version of a discount club, right? In in 2016, five years after Gamers Club Lock, Unlocked was, was rolled out, Amazon Prime started doing their 20% off of pre-orders and new games. For a while, it was you got 20% off of new game purchases or pre-orders at Amazon Plus if you or if you bought a game within two weeks of its release date, then you still got the 20% off. Um, they they scaled that back then afterwards, so it was just 20% off all pre-orders. And then now they've further scaled it back so that it's just 20% off all standard edition pre-orders. So they've, they've excluded most collector's editions from that program. But I have a feeling that with Gamers Club Unlocked going away, there is very little reason for Amazon Prime to continue doing that program as well. So my guess is that will go away quickly as well. Considering Amazon just recently upped their price of Prime, do you think it would be a bad PR move if they were now to say, in addition to that, we're taking away one of these benefits that I would argue a lot of people take advantage of? Maybe. I I think Amazon tends to believe that Prime is still a... a, Most people buy Prime for the free shipping Mm -hmm. and all of the other things that they throw on top of it, people tend to look at as ancillary benefits or just, you know, bonuses. Having been a Prime member since Amazon launched Prime, I've always looked at it as I'm paying for ship free zero zero cost two day shipping for the year, and mm-hmm. even at the increased price, I make way way I come up way 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 ahead on that deal, even if I don't get a single other benefit, because I order just so much stuff through Amazon. I order groceries through Amazon. I order all you know. All of my like toothpaste and shampoo and all of that stuff is just on subscribe and save at Amazon. I very rarely go to a store. I put in a lot of hours at work, so I don't. I value the time involved, mm-hmm. of, uh, the time saved of shopping on Amazon. So almost everything I buy is is online in some form or another, and most of that just happens to be through Amazon. So I don't think I. My guess is they could eliminate the 20% off with very little repercussion, especially since Gamers Club Unlocked is no longer viable, you know, competitive pressure on them. I really want to dig into why groceries, toothpaste, and shampoo were the first three things you could mention under pressure for things that you order through Amazon Prime. Either either A, uh, had you not talked about how time is important to you, for some reason, those three products are embarrassments to you, and you don't want to be seen in public buying those things. <laughs> like you've built up this reputation of being the guy who doesn't brush his teeth or or wash his hair or eat food. Yeah. So you you don't want to diminish that that uh, that projection. So image um, is important, Caleb. Image <laughs> is important. Uh, do you think this will curb anyone from even buying games? Like, do you think there's anyone out there who is really sold on buying games because they had this kind of discounts and are going to buy fewer games because of it? I th- I think probably. I think maybe not buying fewer games, but definitely buying fewer games at launch. Um, yeah, there were games that I definitely pre-ordered through either Amazon or or Best Buy because I was getting 20% off, so that dropped it to, you know, from 60 to 48, and then I was getting the $10 Best Buy Rewards Club points, so that drops it effectively from 48 to 38, and you know, 
if you got some sort of a, a sale, you know, price match on that, then after the fact, you could be getting a game, a brand new game for 25 bucks or so, which is effectively what you might pay if you waited, you know, till next Black Friday on it. So mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of the games that are more mass market and more um more likely to be readily available on the the secondary market i think people will will end up waiting my my worry i don't have a lot of of issue with that but my worry is that it'll in it'll adversely affect single player games much more heavily because that they don't rely on the day one multiplayer there's a lot of people on the servers you know want to be playing with your friends at the at, at a given time given the fact that these types of games are already under pressure uh you know god of war sales notwithstanding um i think anything that could could hinder that sales of those games is is a bad thing in my opinion i wonder if you could build a business model around only pre-order games like once the game is for sale it's no longer live on your site so that you can sort of focus in on the pre-order market and maybe offer, you know, discounts or something like that. I wonder if a company like Best Buy could have that almost like its own separate uh, entity. Um, there might be a way to make that profitable. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, I'm not a business guy, um, which is uh, which is which is why I asked this question because I don't know if this actually factors into it or not. Um, Best Buy did uh, recently announce. Uh, well, it was earlier this year they announced that they'd be closing all of their mobile stores or their mall stores, essentially their smaller stores, um, by the end of May. Um, and as far as I'm sure that did go through, it was about 250 stores or something. Um, that kind of store closing initiative, paired with some of these uh, these sort of discounts, uh, removing discounts, things like that, that feels to me like a like not a last ditch effort, but it, it, the writings on the wall that Best Buy may not be long for this world uh, is kind of the way I see it. But again, I'm not the business guy. I don't know if I'm sort of parsing the tea leaves a little bit too much here. Well, Best Buy has been in trouble for a long time. They got really walloped by Amazon because they, they synced up almost perfectly. And throughout most of the early 2000s, Best Buy's stock cratered and they were on the verge of bankruptcy multiple times, they brought in a couple of different turnaround CEOs, uh, Hubert Jollet, the being the most recent, who by all accounts did a pretty great job at turning them around. Their stock rebounded, the revenue rebounded. So I, I think this is probably just maybe ending a program that was part of trying to, to help that rebound take place. Um, you know, just given the timing on it starting in 2011, which was, you know, some of the depths of, of Best Buy's stock prices was, you know, after obviously the, the stock market crash and that as they continued to, to plummet in, in sales. Um, I, I don't, necessarily think that these two things are indicative of of doom and gloom for best buy uh i think they are two things that are probably were probably well beyond their time to be ending and didn't make a whole lot of business sense to begin with uh the mobile best buy mobile was really a play to try and get into the more firmly entrench themselves in the cell phone market and be sort of the the hardware provider for 
uh, cell phones and being part of a, a service economy where you could go and get provider agnostic support and and information uh, when you were trying to choose a mobile provider and a mobile phone. But I think there's so many people in that space, be it mobile providers or the Apple store or you know, some Samsung's got their own kind of pop-up stores like that now. Uh, I think there's just it's tough to, to compete in that industry, especially because the prices on phones are so locked down. Mm-hmm. And mall space is, is typically vastly overpriced for for what you get given the the decline in mall foot traffic i think the and obviously gamers club unlocked i think they were losing money hand over fist on so i think i think best buy is probably still okay i don't think they're in in danger of going the way of toys r us anytime soon because they still they still do pretty good sales in the heavy home goods space the big box type stuff your washers dryers appliances you know refrigerators uh and a lot of the geek squad type services which is just huge margin right Mm -hmm. um so i think i think they're in a much better position than toys r us was but who knows long term if they continue to f- to have a large portion of their footprint tied up in media movies cds video games i think all of that space should probably be repurposed for you know more of the appliance type stuff and and focus that way just because of the margins involved it's tough to make money on new video games i'd be surprised if you if you focus if you move away from uh electronic like focusing focusing on home goods and things like that i would be surprised if that would even be very uh, substantial i mean you've got so many other stores that do that it, probably with more uh, efficiency just your home depots and and lows and things like that selling washers dryers then you've got uh i guess maybe computers would probably be about the, the place i think computers are still something that people want to see and touch before they buy um, but there are other places for that as well. We have a micro center here next to where I live, and I don't know how wide reaching that is across the company or, or across the country or anything like that. But it's hand hand over fist better than Best Buy in terms of selection, in terms of price, in terms of everything. It's just so much better than Best Buy, and I feel like that can't be the only. And if if Best Buy has to compete there, I feel like they're going to lose. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think Best Buy is pretty well positioned for you know, all of the smart appliances and stuff that's coming out with the, the Internet of Things and the smart connected home. I think a lot of most people don't think Home Depot or Lowe's or your typical contractor supply stores when they think, you know, I need somebody to, to connect up my smart refrigerator or you know all of that stuff. So I think I think a lot of Best Buy's fortunes probably hinge on the adoption of IoT and how how well how much traction that gets. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, little known fact: uh, Geek Squad was the name of my very first esports team. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. That's a lie. Uh, yeah, it's a, that... it's a lie. Not only a lie, but it's also a terrible transition. Mm, to was our that next your story? Was that your esports? Mario Super Mario 3 team. <laughs> yeah. We there was only one of us, so we either were really good or really bad, uh depending on, you know, which side of the uh of the of the pedestal you wanted us to stand on, but we could stand on any of them. I mean, the, we were the only team. Yeah. So. The only yeah. event was how far Tanuki Mario could fly. <laughs> yep, and I would always press the uh turn to a a statue button right in mid-flight. 
Um, and just boom, I, I lost every time. I don't know why they had me on the team, to be honest. I mean, there's one team in the entire world. You could literally have anybody, and I'm there? That yeah. doesn't make sense. Terrible. <laughs> doesn't terrible. make sense. No, that seems uh, like a terrible way to grow uh, a popular sporting event. You're right, and I'm not a fan of it. And you know what? Despite this headline that I'm sure you're going to read very shortly, I will never be a fan. I don't know. This new study by Juniper Research says that by 2022, they expect one in 10 people globally to be an esports fan. That's astounding. It's incredibly astounding considering globally, which you properly emphasized, uh, that logically means that in developed countries uh, where there's where, you know, where most of the uh, activity would be taking place, we're much more likely to be forced to sit next to an esports fan on the bus, which I'm absolutely not in favor of. Um, so I think they could have made this even more powerful by saying, you know, uh, by using like, you know, the developed world or something like that, because then you'd re- you'd shrink that down to what, like three and 10 or something like that. I mean, that would yeah. Be, yeah, it's, that's crazy. Well, and, and to put it in perspective, in terms of traditional sports viewership, so I work in, I work in television and it's, when you look at television viewership, about one, sorry, about three in 10 people that have television are tuning into sports. So, you know, watching things like ESPN or you know, the, the NBA finals, um, you know, the, the NHL finals, things like that. When you look at ESPN viewership, it's about it's about 30 percent of households that watch it at all, not even watch it ad, you know, ardently or are, are highly engaged in watching it. It's uh, it's it's astounding when you think that. One in ten people globally, if you if you scale that, like you said, to three in ten, that's really on par with traditional sports market in the U.S. today. Let me ask one question about this research that I could not divvy, I could not mine from this research. Uh, what ex- the title? The title of the of the of the um, study is a little potentially misleading. Uh, so let me ask your thoughts on it. So the uh, the research title is titled "Esports, comma Let's Play and Watch." Hey, there's no Oxford comma there. How? dare they mm. uh esports and this is actually a perfect example of maybe why i'm misinterpreting the title because this goes to show how important oxford commas are um if they're talking about esports comma let's play comma watch play meaning sort of you know let's play games but then also i, I guess in this sense they're just calling let's play and watch play the same thing okay i get it now um but my question stands and that's are they combining esports and let's play videos into the same number because if so that seems incredibly disingenuous because people will watch Let's Plays that are not esports. In fact, they watch plenty of Let's Plays that are not esports. That would be the equivalent of saying part of the sports uh, network TV market also includes people who watch, you know, The Real Housewives. Like, that doesn't make any sense, I don't think. Um, but I, don't, I couldn't tell. I did some digging and tried to find some information about it, but I just couldn't figure it out. I don't know if you read it the same way I did or not. Yeah, no, I think it, it's the combination. So I think if you look at the headline, it's it's one in 10 people globally will be, be it's not fans of esports. It's one in 10 people will be watching esports and or Let's Plays. Mm-hmm. So I think this is more about the, the study is done by Juniper Research, which is a advertising focused media industry research firm so they're really looking at 
hey, letting letting people in the television industry, letting people in the the OTT video industry know that this is really a thing and it's something that people need to to pay attention to. And it's not just it's not just esports. It's not just you know. Uh, PewDiePie. It's not just people watching people play video games on YouTube. It's it's actually a sizable market that is uh, highly engaged in something that's advertiser friendly and very niche and able to be able with ad space that's able to be monetized relatively easily. And it's trying to call call more attention to that side of it, not just saying, "Hey, esports are blowing up." Even though mm. you know esports are blowing up, but it's more about just people watching, people who are wanting to watch video game content and watch people play video games. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I think uh, with that explanation, um, I'm probably a little less surprised by the number but not by much it's still an incredibly high surprising number to say one in ten people globally will watch video games or watch people play video games that's still still pretty incredible um i guess i was just so averse to being included in the esports crowd that i had to I had to defiantly say wait a second something's <laughs> wrong here <laughs> so that was just me being a turd one of the things that they that they mention in the in the article and the research is how how big of a how much of this surge is driven by the the battle royal titles that mm-hmm. you know I certainly have no no desire to play, but I think a lot of it is the fact that it's it it's very identifiable. You know, they're they're easy to pick up, easy to pick up and play, easy to jump into. You know, you hop into Fortnite, it's easy to learn, it's easy to to get going, it's fast pace, it's all of those things that good sports, traditional sports are, right? They're easy to learn, easy to play, hard to master. Mm-hmm. And so watching people who are masters at their craft, you can pick up on tips, you can, you know, see the difference between a casual player and a, a world-class player. So um, I'm not shocked that Battle Royale titles have have helped drive drive viewership in, in both of those medias handedly. Now, do you think that uh, the rise in this... Uh, so if advertisers get, uh, get more into people, uh, the, the medium of people watching video games and things like that... Um, there's going to be a segment of the game playing population. I feel that is a little bit averse to it, possibly to some, some degree. Um, so I'm kind of finding a way to ask the question, will traditional gamers be forced to adopt in order to continue to join the conversation around video games? Meaning that if I, as a gamer, if I don't like watching esports or if I don't like watching let's plays, but that seems to be a growing thing, does that mean that I will have to then try to like that in order to continue the conversation? Or I guess, am I saying that the conversation will still happen in other places, um, not just dominated by the media? I guess, yeah, I guess I'm talking through it as I kind of, as I come to my conclusion, which is no, I think there's always going to be segments. If, if, if there's a group of people interested in something, they'll find their way to talk about it, it, it even if it's contrary to the the, the the mainstream or the current or anything like that yeah i think um, so i mean I, I, you look at look at the the prevalence of esports even today esports and you know, multiplayer gaming today even today and there's still plenty of avenues for folks to find news on you know 
on niche games, on single player games, on JRPGs, you know, things like limited run games, you know, the, those, all of these segments of the industry that aren't Fallout or that aren't, uh, sorry, um, um, it, that aren't Overwatch, you know, that aren't your battle royal games. Uh, I think there's still plenty of avenues for those to to exist. Um, in terms of where I thought you were going, you know, in terms of the the advertising and commercialization, I think there's going to be an overall shift in the media industry in general, away from sort of your traditional advertisements that you see on TV, right? I think part of the reason that TV and traditional kind of cable providers, traditional linear cable satellite telco providers are struggling with their video offerings is people are becoming accustomed to binge watching things without advertisements right without mm-hmm. ad breaks you can sit and you watch amazon prime you can sit and you can watch uh netflix things like hulu that started out very advertiser focused and very ad supported have had to launch ad free versions of their of their product and traditional linear channels are not immune to that i think we're going to see a a conversion in advertising in general across all platforms away from your typical 30 second ad spot 15 second ad spot down to more six second micro ads Mm -hmm. and product placement just because viewers don't have the attention span to sit through a a two minute ad break three times a, a half hour right i mean if you think about a traditional television sitcom that's 30 seconds on your broadcast networks abc nbc cbs fox a half hour sitcom would typically have anywhere between three and eight minutes of advertising in it so you'd actually only have like 22 to 26 minutes of of actual content well most most tv networks have sort of come out and said look we're we're looking to change our model so that we get down to something more like two minutes of ad time per hour, which, you know, is just a, a drastic, drastic change. And that they have to make up that revenue somewhere, somehow. So I think a lot of it is going to shift to product placement and content that's product placement friendly. And mm-hmm. so sports is very product placement friendly. And so is esports. You know, esports and Let's Plays are almost the ultimate product placement, right? They're, they've got, you know, Every gamer is using a mouse or a controller or a headset or a chair or a display or everything that can be tied in with with product placement and marketing. And all of those are opportunities for revenue and content for uh, all kinds of video distributors. Not to mention the game itself. I mean, they're literally playing the product that you can buy. So, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, that's crazy pants. Um, I don't uh, I don't I, I will forgive you for accidentally saying Fallout. Uh, when you meant Overwatch, and I will hope that that's not a, uh, a a taste of things to come when it comes to Fallout 76, which again we'll uh, talk about later. But I just uh, I really hope you're right. <laughs> I think I think we're both going to be disappointed, but I really hope you're right. Yep, yep. I will. Uh, you know, it's 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 on my wish list when we get to the main event uh, that uh, there are some other Fallout news items there, and I think if there are, I will be. I, it'll be easier to swallow a multiplayer online Fallout 76. 
So before we leave the esports item, I do want to just mention there's there's an, a bit of an Overwatch League news here as well. Um, and the Overwatch League, obviously owned by Blizzard, and this is a league that's got they they've just I believe just finished season one. Um, and this is a league that's got really high profile owners, um, and they're set you know it's folks like Robert Kraft who owns the New England Patriots and the Dolans who own you know the 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 Knicks and the um, you know, some other, I think the Rangers in, in, in the NHL, but legitimate sports ownership, legitimate sports, um, figures and, and entertainment figures who are owning teams in, in the Overwatch League is set to expand to six more teams for their second season. And they're going to expand globally. So the plan is, is that they're going to take of the six, two of them are going to be from the Americas. And that's both, you know, North America, Central America, South America. It's not clear where yet in the Americas. Two from the Asia Pacific region, and then two from uh, the combination of Europe and the Middle East. So, again, just another example of esports continuing to expand, esports continuing to kind of explode onto the scene. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what do you say we talk a little bit about some some potentially positive fallout news before we get into the bummer Ooh. that is 76 shall Ooh. we i i think i like i like where you're headed so i am a huge fallout fan as we've said um and so this news interests me greatly uh the fallout new vegas mod called fallout new california is launching in october october 23rd to be exact and you may be thinking but I haven't heard that news from Bethesda. Yes, that's true. It's a uh, a fan-created mod that's been about eight years in the making or so, five to eight years in the making, I think. Um, and it's a, a prequel story to Fallout New Vegas. Um, and it's, it, it's fan-developed. It's a complete conversion mod, essentially meaning that it is a, for, le- for all intents and purposes, it's a brand new game. I mean, if you think about a developer using the Fallout uh, New Vegas engine, um, they don't have the access to the engine, obviously, but a full conversion mod is essentially kind of that. It's, it's with the, It has its own dialogue, its own stories, its own everything, um, and is incredibly impressive, especially for someone like me who the, the most complicated uh, game I've ever developed is a game where you try to keep porcupines from entering bathroom stalls. And it was... A very uh, non-Fallout-y type of game, I must say. It was very, very minor. But so, um, I'm, I'm incredibly interested about this. I, I'm, I'm not a mod uh, modder. I've never played a mod game, really, honestly. I've, I've just, I'm just kind of, I like to have the packaged official kind of releases from the publishers. But uh, I think this is really, really cool uh, because it's launching now. The one question I want to have before we kind of dive into all of the other inevitable questions that come up around this is... Um, I kind of want to ask questions about maybe the legalities of this kind of thing. Um, modding historically has been, it's similar to in the way streaming is, uh, with, uh, with games, you know, each publisher has kind of their rules for and against it. And as long as you don't monetize things, things are generally fine. Some publishers like Bethesda are actually, they, they embrace the modding community. Um, their, uh, their, their most recent, uh, attempts to monetize mods kind of goes contrary to the openness that they've historically had, but they, uh, they're usually kind of really open to it. Um, a lot, and a lot of publishers are, they like giving, uh, people the tools to their to their toolkit and um, let them kind of play around with it, see how things happen. 
the reason why uh, I asked the question specifically about this one is for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's gigantic. I mean, it's it's not even trying to sell itself as something other than Fallout. It's literally called Fallout New California. It's very much a Fallout-inspired, Fallout-stolen kind of game. And its release uh, correlates with at least the news of Fallout 76, which we'll get more information about uh, at E3 this year in less than a week. Uh, but I, I feel like Bethesda should have problems with this company or this these group of modders advertising a quote-unquote new Fallout game at the same time that Bethesda is trying to build up awareness of their own product. Um, and I feel like market confusion is kind of inevitable in this case. Do you have any thoughts on that? Am I overthinking it? Am I not, not thinking about it in the right terms? What's what's going on there? No, I think you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head. All of those things, if I was Bethesda, I would be very concerned about. A lot of times mods can, can sneak through the cracks because A, they're not a, they're not a, commercial product or their project so they're not trying to to make money but you you hit the nail on the head where that's not the only way that a an ip holder can sustain damages from you know someone using their ip and capitalizing on their ip it doesn't just have to be the the modder or you know whoever selling a product that uses their intellectual property it can also be um damages based on less sales of of their actual official product in, in Fallout New Vegas in this or excuse me Fallout 76 in this case with the timing and the fact that there's already controversy about Fallout 76 being multiplayer and being a battle royal and and maybe not catering to Fallout fans I think this could be a situation that's rife with the potential for Fallout New California to be a huge thorn in Bethesda's side. I think it, it, it only furthers it that not only is it using the Fallout name and, and structuring it as you know a, a very close tie-in with New Vegas, but it, it goes even beyond that. It's actually pitching itself as a prequel to follow mm -hmm. new vegas so it's it's using the same setting you know it's using kind of the same um the same general story arc yeah i'm going to be very interested to see if this is something where once an, a release date is officially announced or once you know we get to the verge of it if that's when bethesda comes in with a uh cease and desist you know order i just i i can't believe that that they would let it go unabated. I could see them if it if it ends up looking cool to just buy you know, buying it from them and and saying hey we'll we'll not shut down your project we'll not sue you but we're gonna give you a tiny fraction of what this is worth and and we'll just take it and own it now. Mm -hmm. um, you know that's that's sort of if you look back at like. Counter-Strike, right, where it was a, a Half-Life mod, and that's even, a lot of the, the, the mods that became engrossed or, or enveloped into the, the original programmer, original publishers fold, were done so at kind of rock-bottom prices. You know, if you look at Counter-Strike was a Half-Life mod, and, and then Valve came in and, and bought the IP and brought on both uh, Min Lee and Jess Cliff uh, t as, as employees, right? They didn't, uh, they didn't become super, super rich because of their, their Counter-Strike 
development or dota right was a a warcraft 3 mod and that uh it was a mod that essentially even launched an entire genre of the the battle arena genre and that was was bought again by valve right and and i think the the guy that developed that steve feek who by the way is a fellow wisconsinite and wisconsin badger so he can't be all bad. Uh, he went on to work for for Riot Games after Dota bought the the IP, or after sorry, Valve bought the IP of Dota, and um, he went on to work on League of Legends and that whole crew. So a lot of these guys didn't end up, you know, really cashing out and and retiring or anything. So my guess is that getting back to Fallout New California legally, I think one of two things happens: it either gets a cease and desist and and never sees the light of day or it just gets uh bought on the cheap by by bethesda and given more of an official release if it's good if it's good that's a big thing i i think uh, bethesda generally has such control over their ips and other products and and there's such a level of quality control despite the bethesda glitches uh but in terms of actual like just experience that you have with a game they they control that pretty tightly so i would be very surprised if if they bought it and released it i i don't know i just feel like that would be insane um i feel like that they would do more of the cease and desist kind of thing uh i also wonder if they're going to wait until it gets closer so that they don't get any sort of negative press before E3 uh, or before, you know, they're going to wait till there's sort of a lull in the PR beat, I think, so that there's not anything to, to distract from mm-hmm. uh, maybe some of the some of the initial claws they want to get in the audience's mind space leading up to E3 and even shortly after. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, there's no reason for them to come in with a, a cease and desist until something gets close to, you know, and until there's a, an inevitability to it, right? There, these kind of projects collapse all the time on their own. And if that was the case, I mean, this was supposed to come out. I think that the plan was that this was originally going to be released before Fallout 4, mm-hmm. right? So these kind of projects tend to drag on and the longer they drag on, the higher the likelihood that it you know, never actually comes to fruition. So if if a project has a potential to collapse on its own without Bethesda risking the PR problem of, you know, going in and playing the heavy and shutting down the little independent guy that's just trying to, you know, make uh, make something fun for the Fallout community, which is how which is how most of the 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 gamers are going to spin it, right? Because I think there, there's a legitimate lack of respect for IP in the gaming community and um, you know, in large segments of the gaming community, I should say. Mm-hmm. So I think if if it was something where it could die on its own and wither on the vine, I think Bethesda would be happy to let it. Um, so to your point, I think until there's something where they have a release date, they're coming out on X day and here here comes Fallout New California that's when the I think a cease and desist would come in. Uh, speaking of letting of Bethesda letting Fallout die, uh, let's talk about the main event, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so the e- E3. E3 is upon us. Um, and 
this is uh, Christmas time for for us game nerds. Um, it's a time of excitement. It's it's it's, it's a palpable excitement when E3 comes around. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with E3, that's stupid. You should be familiar. Uh, but it is essentially it's a, a giant party. It's a celebration of video games, uh, but it's also primarily an advertising for upcoming video games. There's a lot of industry stuff going on during this essentially five days, five or six days worth of video game craziness, um, three days of sort of, uh, of of floor space dedicated to showing off new video games, things like that, three days uh, dedicated to um, uh, big, huge presentations, uh, stage reveals, that sort of thing, and then behind the scenes the entire time, a lot of industry and businessy stuff going on. You see a lot of... Uh, of, of uh, video game news outlets releasing a lot of content uh, with you know interviews they're having with people during this time, new games that are coming out. There's tons of coverage. It's just it, there's a swarm of activity uh, regarding video games and things like that. And um, what and, and in a lot of ways, it's a legitimate holiday for for a lot of gamers. I for one, I'm actually taking off a day of work, um, and it's it's a day of work not just because I love video games, uh, but also so that I can participate in. Uh, this will be a very short, quick plug, but also so I can participate in at least a couple sessions of the Cartridge Club E3 coverage, uh, which is going to be live at Twitch.tv forward slash Cartridge Club. Uh, members of the Cartridge Club, uh, which you can learn more at CartridgeClub.org, are going to be um, immediately following each of the presentations. We're going to be doing um, our own commentary and thoughts and things like that um, after each one of the presentations. So uh, last year uh, was the first year that we had done this, and, and what viewers last year will know that we we sort of at the end of each day we did these pre- we did these uh, commentaries. This year it's different, and then we're going to do it directly after the presentation. So are you really going to get a lot of our hot takes? Um, you can definitely uh, check out uh, a few... Um, people at the Cartridge Club for uh, some videos that they've really already been doing. I'll specifically point out uh, Frantic Society, so at Frantic Society on Twitter. Um, his uh, his podcast, Frantic Thoughts, um, I think it's Frantic Thoughts on YouTube as well. It might be Frantic Society on YouTube. Um, but he's done a lot of hype train E3 videos. I think he's done like four or five of them actually. Um, and they're really good, a lot of really in-depth stuff. And he will be talking uh, during the uh, commentary after those uh, E3 uh, shows from the uh, 10th or from the 9th all the way through the 12th, um, he'll be participating in those. So if you like his uh, commentary, then you'll probably like to watch him give hot take commentary afterwards as well. Um, So with all of that being said, um, I think, uh, you know, where do we want to take this from here? I mean, do we want to talk about um, I, I, I talked to, I didn't, what I didn't address, and maybe I should really quickly, is I didn't address the culture of leaks that surround E3. So uh, while E3 is an amazing experience for gamers, and, and, and most of us really, really love the experience, almost uh, with, with predictable, uh, very predictably, you can assume there's going to be a lot of leaked information, um, a lot of uh, reveals, uh, generally from retail retailers. Uh, about the games that are coming up toward the that are going to be announced at E3, um, and there's sort of a uh, some people love the leaks. It gives them a little insight into things. Some people hate the leaks. Leaks are kind of spoilers, things like that. But maybe what I want to start off with is before we get into um, our wish list, our uh, what we you know what we 
uh, would love to see uh, and maybe what we don't want to see also. Before we get into that, maybe let's just talk a little bit about the culture of leaks and and first a- ask the question. I mean, are leaks good? Are leaks good? Are leaks bad for developers, for uh, players? Well, I think it depends on the circumstances. Not all leaks are created equal. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of leaks are planned leaks and are really more of a marketing tactic like i think take fallout 76 for example fallout 76 was sort of the first game to get tossed out there uh in in the lead up to e3 and then uh bethesda actually you know released the the trailer on it and and release they almost did a leak themselves right they they kind of dropped the hints on their Twitter and and really launched the the trailer ahead of E3 and I think some of that is trying to not get lost in the crowd and perhaps not trying to even get not get lost in their own crowd because Bethesda's got a big time presentation a big time event planned here for for E3 and there's been a lot of rumors that they may they may finally reveal starfield their sci-fi rpg they may you know do a number of things so um i think it's a way for companies to get their projects out of the um out of the general chaos that that occurs at e3 where it's just you know it could be easy for a game to get overshadowed and lost in the muck of of all of the news with the Fallout example, the Fallout seventy six example, though, wouldn't you consider that just marketing? Because that was a that wasn't so much a leak as it was Bethesda just deciding that they wanted to announce the game early and just sort of have a fun way of going about it. Like it was, it was that was very obviously sanctioned by Bethesda. But um, I think that there are, to your point about some of the leaks, some le- true leaks, like leaks meaning that there's the perception that the publisher didn't want this information out there. Um, I think a lot of, in a lot of those cases, it would, it would not surprise me if in fact the publishers, the developers, publishers, I guess, did in fact want the games to be leaked and talked about. Um, I was taught, I, I, I posted, uh, over at giantbomb.com, um, which is, uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite kind of video game forums. I really like it. Uh, not no toxicity over there. A lot of people have really interesting ideas. And so I threw up this topic over there just asking whether or not leaks were good or bad. Um, and I got a lot of really, really good responses. Um, and interestingly enough, I got most people thinking that, that leaks were not intentional, um, by the developers, uh, or by the publishers. Um, and I, there was even a couple of responses from people who are in the games industry. Um, there's one person who works in game localization and kind of talked through it a little bit and, and expressed why they feel like most leaks are not um, on purpose. Um, but then there's a lot of people who are expressing things like they don't like leaks, they do like leaks. I don't know. It was just a lot of really cool information. My thinking on it was uh, my sort of overall, I guess, opinion on leaks are that I think in most cases, I still believe that in most cases they probably are sanctioned by the publishers, by the developers, because I feel like they could possibly have a stronger reign on things if they really, really wanted to. Um, And I also think that it's good for developers, generally speaking. Uh, At a time before the internet, before things could spread so quickly, I think there was more importance to be had with uh, controlling the narrative. Um, it was more difficult to sort of rein a narrative back in, I think, after it got out uh, in the time before the Internet. Now, with the Internet, you can almost crowdsource the narrative. You can sort of let the 
let the community decide what's what's good and what's bad. You sort of leak a little bit of information and then let people do with it what they will. And generally speaking, the 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 the, the most vocal opinions will rise to the top, and hopefully those will be positive opinions. But I think you can just have a little bit more comfort in in crowdsourcing a narrative these days. Um, and all and all you know, all PR is good PR is what some people will say. So uh, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it, but I think in general, I probably am, am totally cool with leaks, and I do feel that developers probably sanction them most of the time. But I don't have any data to support that. I think one one example here is the the Assassin's Creed Odyssey mm-hmm. that got leaked uh, based on a a keychain image. And then Ubisoft, after after that came out, Ubisoft quickly confirmed it and then issued a really short, I think, like, five-second teaser you know, trailer. I think that one's... Uh, I was going to say, just real quick, I think that one was mostly surprising uh, because, I, if I remember correctly, Ubisoft was specifically did, said that they wanted to get away from the every year a new Assassin's Creed game. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that maybe they meant that literally. They, they didn't want to release Assassin's Creed game Every year, just every year, but one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is Assassin's Creed plus Ancient Greece. They can just go ahead and have my money right now. <laughs> I figured that would be. Uh, I know you well enough. I figured you'd be all all over that. So yeah, if there's one thing that can top Ancient Egypt for me, it's Ancient Greece. Nice. That's uh, that's my bread and butter right there. So anything else? What else has been spoiled for you because of leaks? One of the other things that that was leaked was uh, Hitman 2, which I guess it wasn't really something that I was looking forward to or anything. I did enjoy a couple of the Hitman games, but um, I think some of the stuff that I'm I'm really more interested in are are things that haven't been leaked, things that were maybe just quickly teased at at previous. Uh, previous events things like death stranding mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that but I, i'm interested mostly to hear about um you know some of the things that we haven't heard of for a while things like cd project red cyberpunk 2017 2077 yeah. or um, you know bethesda's starfield that i mentioned earlier it, it's tough to know you know what that what hasn't been leaked that that i'm excited about you know i think the Obviously, just given my my proclivity and my gaming preference, I'm I'm going to be interested in anything that's uh, you know story driven, single player adventure uh, RPG. Um, you know, and and I'm going to tune out quickly for the litany of battle royal me twos. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you will only have to tune out quickly. Hopefully you will not have to tune out for the entire duration. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm interested in a lot of those things too. Um, CD Projekt Red. I, I though I didn't get into The Witcher. Um, I I read the Witcher series specifically, mm-hmm. The Witcher Three. Um, I I'm very intrigued by it, and I love the fact that it exists. Um, and I understand why it's such a good game. I just personally didn't get didn't get into it. I may give it another try at some point. Um, but yeah, Beth- anything by by Bethesda, I'm all over. Um, hearing about so their new Starfield, even though the space theme isn't really up my up my alley. Um, Bethesda games are just good games, and I will always mm-hmm. uh, get a good Bethesda game. Um, I'm also, you know, speaking of which, I would love to I would love to see uh, or to to have the Fallout Anniversary collections be announced. It's the 10th anniversary, I think, of 
Fallout 3, I believe, um, and the 8th of, of, of New Vegas. But 10 is a big number, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like releasing information about Fallout 76 early is not just a way for them to control the narrative, but also to sort of pave the way for maybe some other announcements that are going to be big. I mean, Bethesda said that this was going to be one of their longest presentations they've ever done. Now, maybe they'll just have one game and show a two-hour trailer. I don't know. If it's a good game, cool. Um, But I would love to see some sort of Fallout Anniversary Collection announced. I would love to be able to play Fallout 3 again. I would love to be able to play New Vegas again. Um, Even if they did something with the first two games, I think that would be kind of cool to throw those in there, like to just as even if they're downloads or something. I mean, I I think that'd be kind of cool to just bring all of the current generation up on the history of Fallout. Um, and then in yeah, addition- well, I mean, they they a couple of years ago had that awesome PC only Fallout anthology collection that you know came in like the mini nuclear mm-hmm. bomb, and it had it had Fallout, Fallout Two, Fallout Tactics, which is uh, like the Brotherhood of Steel one. Mm-hmm. Um, they had New Vegas was in there, and Fallout Three was in there. So if they did that and then paired in, you know, drop in Fallout Four with it, that'd be awesome. I would be all over it. Yeah. That, I mean, I, did you ever play 1, 2, or or Brotherhood of Steel? I did not. Uh, I did not play either of those. Um, my favorite Let's Player in the world, his uh, name is Many a Truder. I think I've talked about him here before. Um, I watched him play through the entire games. Um, and as a Fallout fan, as a self-proclaimed Fallout fan, I should play those games. I really should. But they're also uh, the turn-based sort of uh, isometric kind of thing. Um, is not my favorite thing in the world, and I kind of don't want to diminish my love of Fallout by going back to those games. Mm. So watching uh, many intruder play them, he he. Speaking of you know watching video games being like sports and things like that, um, he treats those games like it's sports commentary. I mean, he knows everything about those games in and out, just as this commentator would about the stats of a player. And so you can watch the his let's plays and and just it's such an interesting interesting thing. I mean, he's he's someone that should. If there's anyone that can do that stuff for a living, which I know a lot of people do, he's definitely the one that deserves it the most. He's a, he's amazing. Um, he's not flamboyant. He doesn't try to get you know uh, get a rise out of people or anything. He treats these games with respect and and deconstructs them, but at the same time is very funny about it. Anyway, I have a man crush on him, but that there you go. <laughs> um, but no, I haven't. I haven't to answer your question. I haven't, and I would lo- I I would pr- I would maybe try, but again, I'd probably st- I'd stay back from them, uh, probably. Um, I do think the the kind of last really big wish list on my or item on my wish list for E3 is is sort of a collective wish list, uh, and that's just bring on the Switch ports. I wanna I, I don't care what it is. I don't care how old a game is. I want more Switch ports. Um, being able to change the context on which uh, through which you play a game is such an important important thing that a lot of people I think overlook when people say they're just rehashing games on. Um, on the switch, the truth is they're, they're, they're not They're They're bringing it to a completely different context. They're allowing you to play it in different ways, which to me is as good as a new game, especially if I've never played the game before. So bring on the switch ports. I, if, if it's a game, I haven't played it yet. Um, and there are tons of them. I will buy the switch version, uh, to the tomb Raider games, you know, considering shadow of the tomb Raiders coming out. Why not? Why not throw the tomb Raider games on the switch? Um, the Dishonored series, uh, so Bethesda and the Switch have played well together recently. Why not throw the Dishonored series on there? They've already done the uh, the definitive edition of Dishonored 1, and why not have a definitive edition of Dishonored 2 and release it on the Switch? Um, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, I would love for that to happen. I just don't think it's going to. Um, it is coming to Xbox One, digital only, I believe, um, as was the PlayStation 4 and PC versions. 
uh, I would love it on the Switch, but uh, I, an interview I read uh, said that the 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 creator, the creative director of of uh, Senua's Sacrifice, did not really seem excited about the switch at all um and this was independent of a conversation about any sort of physical release um he just wasn't into it and so maybe that's changed considering how widely adopted the switch has become but i doubt it and it's also one of those games too that is to be fair it's it's a game that kind of thrives on being big and so to even give you the option to play it handheld could take away quite a bit of it like the the game it wants you to be fully immersed it wants you to play with headphones it wants you to feel almost claustrophobic when you play it and that's part of the experience and a a smaller version just wouldn't allow that so i would understand if they didn't do it but i would love it if they did what i would like to see speaking of switch one of my wish lists that i don't think is realistic for this e3 but i'd love to see it anyway would be a switch hardware redesign Mm -hmm. i'd I'd, you know something with uh, expanded battery life so you can get more than three four hours out of the thing when it's undocked and my biggest pet peeve for the love of christ build bluetooth headphone functionality (laughs) into the thing this is 2018 nintendo let's go (laughs) yeah i'm with you i'm with you i i I think a, a redesign is out of the question for this E3 for sure. I don't think it's out of the question for like a Christmas season type thing though, to be honest. I mean, in Japan, I know they released the sort of stripped down Switch uh, bundle, which was a, which was essentially the Switch minus the dock. It was just a Switch and a couple of Joy-Cons and that was it. Um, and so they're already willing to sort of change the way it's sold and change the sort of the, what's the, 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 the configuration. Uh, an entire hardware redesign is obviously a different consideration, but... You know, maybe maybe Christmas season would be too aggressive, but I, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if there was something dramatically different uh, or at least different enough from the current offerings of the Switch this Christmas season. Yeah, and you would only you wouldn't even re- really need to redo a lot of it. You could just redo the screen unit itself, right? It could mm-hmm. still function with all the current peripherals, the current docks, all of that stuff. So I think it, it doesn't seem like you would need a major redesign. It would be more like an internal functionality tweak, you know, almost like a board revision or something. Hell, it's 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 Nintendo. They could just slap a Pokemon uh, paint scheme on it and sell that, and people will buy that, plenty of those, so they wouldn't even have to do hardware. It wouldn't it wouldn't satisfy your wish list. I'm sorry, Scott, but uh, I'm thinking of the, the dollars. Oh, I'm sure they're going to do that. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we're in for different colored switches and different branded switches and i mean nintendo is the king of making people buy the same hardware unit over and 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 as a collector i'm sure you hate that oh hate it with a passion (laughs) speaking of kings of making you buy things over and over and over and paying for things incessantly what i would dream of and this won't happen because of licensing but it would be a star wars game that isn't remotely online (laughs) or EA-ish in any way. Like, if we could just get Knights of the Old Republic 3, Mm. that would make me happy in so many ways. But it would be developed by EA. Yeah. (laughs) Probably, I'm saying, anyway. Yeah, it would definitely be developed by EA. I don't want to crush your hopes, but your hopes are dumb. EA owns Bioware, right? EA owns everything. Well, if Bioware is still a functioning company, then no, EA doesn't own them. (laughs) Um. That's a a fair point. (laughs) Oh, 
what what else about this E3 are you excited about? More PlayStation VR goodness. I'm really loving the VR. Yeah. It definitely takes a different kind of game. I love it in bite-sized pieces. I love showing it to friends when they come over and seeing them experience VR for the first time. As we record this, Sony's already announced one game, Tetris, uh, to this, this afternoon. And they have a couple more pre announcements again going back to the the leak versus pre-announcement vein Uh, but they've said that uh, Saturday they're going to be announcing a new PSVR game and if it's anything like last year they have a a pre-E3 show where they announce kind of a bunch of this more the smaller indie VR type stuff so really looking forward to that and of course other bigger news from Sony can't wait to see more on uh, as we mentioned before Death Stranding from Hideo Kojima Uh, looking forward to seeing more on Spider-Man and uh, Ghost of Tsushima obviously so uh, hoping for a big a big show from Sony this year. I hope so. I hope so. And every year and every event, I always wish for four things. There's four things I want to announce here announced at every single event. Three of them are games, classic games that I love. One of them is Road Rash. One of them is Rock and Roll Racing. And one of them is less classic, more just underrated and that's another racing game and by these three games you would think i have a serious love for racing games and that's not the case these are just three great games that i'd love to see remade the third is split second which was a disney interactive combat racer which is if you haven't played it it's one of the most fun local multiplayer games on the playstation 3 it's absolutely amazing Hmm. and the fourth is for the love of god sony let me change my PlayStation Network name. <laughs> oh, man. You shouldn't have had Swag Daddy 69. Uh, I know. You know. That's a problem. That's it a problem. is a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> uh, well, if, if any of those things happen, um, I can promise you, listener, that Scott will talk about them in a future episode of the Masters of Unlocking. So uh, if, if, you, if you aren't familiar with my segues yet, you should be at least aware enough to know that I am closing out the episode right now. Um, where can you find us? Uh, you can find us both individually and collectively in different spots. Uh, you can find Scott at uh, as VG Collectaholic on most social media platforms. That'd be Twitter. That'd be Instagram on Facebook. His website is VGCollectaholic.com. VG as in the letters, VG Video Game Collectaholic. Get it? Aha. Uh, yeah. And you can find me all over the internets as Caleb J. Ross, Caleb the letter J, Ross, all one word, on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and my website, CalebJRoss.com. And collectively, you can find all things Masters of Unlocking podcast related at the website, MastersOfUnlocking.com. Twitter, M-O-U podcast, Instagram, Masters of Unlocking, and Facebook at Masters of Unlocking. I would say we're probably most uh, most active, probably all three of us, or all three of us, you know, <laughs> me, you, and the podcast, all three yeah. of us. Uh, most active probably on Twitter, I would say. Uh, I may be wrong. You're starting to up your Instagram game, which I which I think is great. Uh, if you want to see pictures of, of uh, VG's collection, uh, do so. They're, they're, it's... It, he competes with the likes of the big people you hear about, you know, your uh, your John Hancocks and your Metal Jesus Roxas's. Uh, his collection, uh, I know, surpasses Metal Jesus Roxas's, but 
John Hancock, I, I don't know, but I would be surprised if you weren't damn close, to be honest. So, yeah. Anything else? Oh, subscribe. Uh, subscribe to us, please. Wherever you're listening to this right now, there's probably a subscribe button nearby. Follow that path uh, and subscribe to us. Uh, and leave us comments on any of the places we mentioned. Leave us comments on the website. Uh, leave us comments on our Twitter accounts, whatever, and just let us know what you think. Um, we really, really appreciate that. We validate ourselves by the amount of positive feedback we get from people. We're very, very um, weak. Uh, so please do that. Yeah, and, we're, Kurt, uh, we're basically the long-lost Kardashians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. It's <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. K- Caleb J. Kardashian mm-hmm. and VG Kardashian. Yep. We're yep. we're equally as popular on social media. Yep. So help yep. us break the internet, please, mm-hmm. and subscribe, comment, uh, and uh, tell us what you tell us your your thoughts on E three. What's going to happen at E three? Tell us your wish list. All that kind of good stuff. We definitely want to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye bye. Oh, bye-bye now. Good David Spade. <laughs>